In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Work Stories is a place for women of color to share their experiences in the workplace. We're no longer whispering these stories to our best friends and partners and then shoving them to the backs of our minds and just dealing. We're talking about bias, equal pay, bad bosses, racist hiring practices, and all the crazy things your coworkers have done or said to you. This is a safe place to tell those stories. The floor is open, y'all. We are telling it all. Welcome back to Work Stories. Our next guest started her career as a middle school teacher, and she quickly realized that the supports for teachers were worse than she thought. But was another industry going to be better? Let's see. My name is Mackenzie McLeod. I am originally from Denver, Colorado, and I am currently reside in Dallas. At this moment, I'm a partnerships manager with an education technology company, and uh, prior to starting that, I worked in education as a teacher. What, I guess, inspired you to want to be a teacher in the first place? Like, when did you know you were going to go into education? It was always kind of like in the back of my mind when I was in school. And what really made it real for me was, one, the student loan forgiveness program that they were running for educators. And my junior year in undergrad, I started studying sociology And when I was learning about just all these problems, the systemic issues that go on, particularly in America and that face black and brown individuals, I was pondering on how I could create change. And I thought about adults and I said to myself, like, adults are, it's kind of hard to change their minds. And so let me pivot to students. And when I set that intention, This is like a sidebar, but I'm very big on setting intentions and kind of just listening to the signs and what God has to share. I went to a career fair and a recruiter came up to me and they're like, hey, do you want your master's from Johns Hopkins? And I was like, yes, of course I do. Yeah. And they introduced me to Urban Teachers, which is now the City Teacher Alliance. And it was a teaching program where you could get your master's in the science of education while also teaching in a school district. And they really focused on rural and urban areas and working with high needs students. And so I kind of found the place where I could work with students, speak to I guess, the system and how we need to change it, but also try to incorporate what I had learned in my undergrad in my practice as a teacher. Oh my gosh. Okay. So then you didn't really know where they were going to send you. So where did you end up when you started the master's program teaching program? 
they gave me three options that I could apply to. And it was Baltimore, DC and uh, Dallas. And I think DC was the most popular because everybody wanted to be in that area. And then it came down to Baltimore and Dallas. And I had to think about where I could live without a roommate. Okay. (laughs) And so Dallas ended up being my first choice. And so I ended up here in summer of 2019. You teach for what, two years as you're getting this degree or what's the stipulation before you're kind of free to teach anywhere? I guess I had to teach for two years while I was getting the degree. I had to work in a district and a school that they were partnered with. So the district I worked at was Dallas Independent School District. And I had to work either in an innovation or ACE campus. And what that meant is they had a special project and additional funding to basically bring in other resources or other types of support in the way of like teachers. And we were working with schools that either were close to shutting down and this is the Mm. last chance to get their test scores up, or it was kind of an experiment. Uh, My second school was an innovation school. So we had a different curriculum, a different setup than most schools. And the goal was to try out like project-based learning or blended learning, but see if different ways of teaching could get better results for students. So when you're entering like a new profession, you're starting your career off and you already have this pressure of like, people are waiting for me to be the change. There's, I have to make sure these kids perform. There's a bit of weight on your shoulder that if the school closes, It's on you and the other teachers. Like, what is it like starting a career with that much pressure? I think it was more of the excitement of getting or creating the change. And it kind of hits you that there are so many steps and experiences that you have to go through in order to get to that point. One part of it was I'm entering in this space and I'm working with seasoned teachers where the pressure to succeed is on them more than me because I'm learning with them and I'm learning from them. And at the end of the year, when it comes down to accountability, they're the one to be judged for that. And so that with personalities, cultures created a lot of pressure where I had to figure out how to ask the right questions. And I also had to figure out what type of individual I was working with. So our first year, we are partnered with a teacher and it is your host teacher. So you are sitting in their classroom and the goal is that they teach you about becoming an educator and work with you to get you very familiar with just how schools operates, what it's like to interact with curriculum, what it's like to work with children and monitor their progress. But that's not the reality. Personal lives and just like how the teacher works individually really come into play. One thing I observed is educators don't really like to share the space. When it's their classroom, it's their classroom. Mm -hmm. And it can be hard for them to adjust to another body with their own perspectives in that room. And that's really hard, especially for elementary education, right? Because there's usually some type of assistant or like parapro in the room as people rotate through schools, right? Yeah, there is. And it's really important to establish, let me say, norm on how you would like to communicate Mm -hmm. and what is the objective of you being in there. So did you get like personal like pushback from people who were like, mind your business, get out of here? (laughs) Yes, I did. 
And I felt like I dealt with the most extreme version of it. At my first school, the first teacher I was partnered with, she was really good at what she does. However, personality-wise, I don't think we meshed and I don't think she was very open to getting to know me and then serving as a mentor to me. So we were different races, different backgrounds, and that would come to play when it came to dynamics with our students. So Mm -hmm. a lot of our students were African-American and um, Mexican. And so the trust was a bit easier to build with me and those students compared to my host teacher. Okay. I'm assuming she's white. Yes. Okay. So she's very much wanting to cultivate those relationships and have that trust for herself. And then you kind of come in out of nowhere and it's a little easier for you with that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Whether she knew it or not, I think she viewed it as an attack. Mm. And I ended up being kind of like her personal assistant. So I would just walk around and make sure that kids were staying on task. She rarely let me lead a lesson. When it came to planning, she would not teach me about standards or how to bundle standards and create objectives. It was kind of like, here's the plan. We're going to sit in our session and parse it out. And then this is what you're going to do. Mm -hmm. And the unfortunate part of the whole situation was it was then brought to my attention by one of my cohort members who was partnered with a different teacher in our department that the teacher was calling me and another cohort member, the Felicia's behind our back, referencing the by Felicia Mm -hmm. uh, character on Friday. Oh, great. Okay. So I was like, she's calling me a crackhead behind my back. Is that what's happening? And when that situation happened, I brought it to my teaching program, their leadership. And we all had a meeting with the principal. It was a bit tricky because it was hearsay, but I stated my piece. I was very upset about it. And essentially I requested to be moved out of her classroom. And the principal, when he was handling the situation, talked to her directly about it. Mm -hmm. And they had a closer personal relationship. And so one day she's like, hey, I want to talk to you. And basically denied that she said these things. She, She was dating. I think she's married to him now, a Black man. And so she was like, I would never do that. Like my boyfriend's Black. Okay. And like, what does that mean? Why do we need to know that? (laughs) Why do we need to know that? You just, it shouldn't have been said. Right. And so I ended up getting transferred and that was the biggest blessing. Uh, My new host teacher, she's a phenomenal woman, have been teaching for years, is a black woman. And she really made sure I got what I needed out of the experience. But when I was in that classroom and this is the next semester, I get confirmation from another teacher that my old host teacher indeed was saying that about me when I was not around. So in this environment, were most of the teachers white or did the teachers reflect the students? I would say a mix. One thing I love about DISD and how they, and I'm not sure if it's in every school, but the schools I worked in had an extremely diverse leadership. The principal of my first school was Mexican. The Assistant principals and leadership, most of them were Black women. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had Black men, white men, white women, all working in the schools. And that was a similar setup. Or my second school at Ignite Middle School, it was a similar setup. So our principal was a Black man. Our leadership was a Black woman and a Mexican man who I actually worked at with at the previous school. 
And so the diversity on the leadership level was there. Okay, that's good to know. Because you you always wonder, like, some in some school districts, like, the teachers do not reflect the students. And then mm-hmm. you kind of, in the back of your mind, kind of wonder, like, can you effectively make progress and create trust and mm-hmm. really get through to students who don't identify with you at all and you don't yeah. really understand them? Is this effective teaching? Just because in some of these communities, in some of these cities, like these kids are not just in Title I schools, but they're like high risk for everything else. Yeah. And so I just was curious when you said that, I was like, oh my gosh, is is everybody on the outs? And then, you know, they're being prompted to say these things and make these little jokes and these comments, which, you know, I'm sure they just think it's innocent and funny, but it definitely (laughs) obviously comes from racism. And it's like, how are you teaching little black kids and making inappropriate jokes with black teachers? Yeah, it does depend on the schools. And I love that you brought up can teachers who don't look like or have the same background as students in high risk and high need areas, can they create change? And I would say yes, but the teacher has to actively be in a space of wanting to learn, have empathy and be able to check their biases. And it can be difficult. So a lot of students in my program were white and, you know, came from affluent backgrounds. And I saw a mixture or observed a mixture of how that manifested in the classroom. Mm -hmm. I observed that my classmates who were white and they were very aware of their biases and their reasoning for doing this program. And they were active learners and they asked for the opinion of their Black classmates or their Mexican classmates were able to build strong relationships with their students. But I think it's in a different way. It's not like, hey, I'm down with you. Like, I'm aware of the culture. It's more about, I am aware that I look different than you and I come from a different background than you, but I am seeking to understand you and where you come from and appreciate your culture. And my role is to make sure that me as an educator gets you to wherever you want to be in your life. And so I've seen that as well. And it really just depends on the teacher. Yeah. And I'm hoping that even in, you know, today's scenario where there's not enough teachers for so many school districts and like they're trying, you know, there's huge recruitment strategies and the sign on bonus, all of those types of things you see because there's such a desperation for teachers right now. I hope that doing that work, like I hope that's not lost in this time of like, we'll hire anyone, which is what it feels like. And, you know, that's a great hope. And that's my hope as well. My program was extremely unique, but not everybody wants to commit two years and 12-hour days and studying for multiple certifications and all these different things. It's not for everyone. And I am slightly aware of the the structure of some of these quick sign-on bonus programs. And I don't know if it's being addressed. What I can say for my old district is it is ingrained in their culture to address, you know, just racism and cultural differences. Mm-hmm. That awareness will be brought to them. But even at the like pedagogical level, these new teachers coming in are not being taught how to effectively teach students, how to interpret the standards. And I hate to say it, but they're just becoming adult bodies in the classroom and babysitters. And 
schools and districts are forced to like outsource the curriculum to different programs, which brings up another set of issues about just personalization and does this actually meet the needs of your students. And do you feel like that would be less of a problem if there were also systems in place to address the kids who aren't eating as much as they should and address abuse at home and address people who have lots of absences and like how are they getting to school and all these other things that kind of are distractions to just like being in the classroom and learning the times tables? I would say the programs are there. The funding is there. There's just not enough people. Mm. I really do admire, I'll say, the district I work for in Texas schools in general, whether it's out of fear or care, I don't know. It's important for them to make sure that students are fed and just like meeting the basic needs so that we can teach them. But ultimately, it's just the lack of staff. Teachers are leaving, counselors are leaving, principals are leaving. And before we can solve that, I think it needs to be our priority to check on the mental health of teachers um, because that's where it starts. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Yeah, and so you're in this program, you, you finish this program, you're seeing all of this firsthand, kind of getting a great assessment if you really want to join this <laughs> if you really want to become one of them or what you want your part to be in education. So what happens then? You finish the program and do you have your own classroom? After my first year, I had my own classroom. I worked in a school where we did co-teaching. So I shared the classroom with another teacher and it was on me to finish up the last half of my program and be a full-time teacher. And what, what was the age of your students? So I have taught all of secondary, um, middle school. So my first semester on my own, I taught sixth grade and then I was moved to eighth grade my second semester. Okay. Oh my gosh. How was that? That's a, that's an interesting age. Yeah. The sixth graders are adorable with my patients. I say I prefer eighth graders, Okay, but they do have their own set of challenges. The sixth graders are cute. They're like, I want to tell you about my day. And I drew you a picture and all of those nice things. And so it was just nice to build relationships with these students. And like, you seemed like a hero in their eyes, you know, Mm -hmm. you could do no wrong. And that first semester, I don't think we had too many behavioral issues. And I would say the biggest challenge of working in sixth grade was just working with two other teachers and all three of us share a classroom. So trying to figure out how to run the class, what's efficient, who talks when, that was the challenge then. Mm-hmm. It was like co-parenting. Yes, it was exactly like co-parenting. Because you want to like back each other up like, oh, Miss So-and-so said you can't do that. So 
You can't yeah. do that. <laughs> and and the kids would do it. They would ask you one thing. If you say no, they go to the other teacher. And so, yeah, it was a lot of like, what are we doing here collectively? Yeah. Eighth grade, I, I love those students. They were extremely challenging. I think with hormones, the environments that they grew up in, the responsibilities that they have, and also the just struggles they were facing in the pandemic with learning loss and being a language learner or having a disability. It was a lot for me as a teacher and a lot for them as a student to just get through the day. Mm-hmm. But they were my most rewarding relationships. And I still speak to those students. They still call and check in on me and update me. And I still get check-ins because I have friends that work at the high school that they go to. And so I, I really love the eighth graders, but it brings up a greater issue. Like, are our kids okay? And I don't think so. It may be different in schools that are, you know, located in a better area or the demographics support them a bit more. But I worked at a Title three. I think we were all the title schools. It was really upsetting to just see as a teacher, no matter what I did, their environment was going to really determine what happens to them. That's a lot of emotion to take with you at the end of the day. Um, Talk to me about your decision to leave the classroom and to be in corporate. Yeah. So it was the heavy emotions that I had to, to take home every day. It was being overworked, working from 7.30 in the morning until like 5, 6 p.m. at night. And that's just on campus. And then I have to go home and grade and plan and talking to parents and just like having knowledge of, but also having to be a part of a lot of tragic situations that were happening to students. And I took on a mother role to a lot of kids And it really messed with my mind because I was 23, 24, 25 Mm. um, and feeling the responsibility for the well-being of these students beyond the classroom and also trying to deal with my own life and the things that I have gone through up until my adulthood. And it all kind of reached a climax and I entered a really dark depression. I was like drinking a bottle of wine every night, crying unconsolably, but I also felt guilt about thinking about leaving the kids. Mm. And so I had to sit with myself and really just ask myself, like, what is it that I need to do to make sure that I'm happy? Because I don't want to spend my young adult years in this type of mental state. And so it was a very hard decision for me to determine like, okay, I'm going to leave the classroom and actually, no, I cannot wait until the end of the school year. I need to go now. And I also was just receiving a lot of insight from people who were outside of education to pay attention to timing. So when I started looking, there was a lot of um, venture capital funding going into education technology programs. And that was one part of teaching that I really loved, creating slide decks, integrating them with different tools. And I knew I wanted to be a part of that uh, because it still allows me to create change, um, but it kind of just pivots to, okay, I'm helping out students and teachers through technology, and I can also keep my peace of mind. So you feel like you're, you're still making that impact, but taking care of yourself better. Yes. Yeah. 
So you you start this new role. What what are you missing about the classroom? I would say the kids. Everything outside of teaching. I I did love delivering lessons and being creative, but it really what is the children. It was something so sweet about just being in my neighborhood and me running into a child or running into their parent or struggling with them all week and then seeing that they got a great score on their assessment or they just took my advice or I inspired them to pursue something. It was special. Um, and I wish I could still experience it. And there's ways like I can get more into mentorship and that, but it really is just the kids. It seemed when you were talking earlier, it feels like, okay, so if you're a doctor and you go through, like you lose a patient, Mm -hmm. there's psychologists in the building you can talk to. And sometimes they insist that you do. And then same with like police officers, they like, they require you to get these like psych evals and talk to somebody after something abnormal happens where are those resources for teachers so that we can keep teachers like you? So people like you feel like you can manage it because you have help and we keep the quality teachers instead of losing you because obviously you need to choose your mental health at the end of the day. Like where are those programs? Do they exist? Do you think they'll ever exist? I believe they exist, but it's like when there's a tragedy. Mm. So we we had an unfortunate situation on our campus where a teacher passed and mental health services came and they're like, we're here for you if you need us. Mm-hmm. But there is no program set up for like reoccurrent counseling or just stress management. I'm sure it exists in HR, but I think it's one thing to say it exists for the sake of the district or the company, but it's another thing for it to be accessible and realistic for the people who need it. Right. So maybe that's something, I mean, hopefully we'll see here in the next five, 10 years, especially with all that's going on. And unfortunately there's tragedies all the time. Yeah. So it feels like, I mean, it doesn't even have to be a tragedy at your own school. If you're a teacher and you're watching Uvalde happen, Mm -hmm. it just seems like, you got to pull some some therapists out then. And then when you start adding up all the different things that are happening daily that are traumatic that affect teachers, it's like, yeah, how about you just keep somebody on staff and actually make it a requirement? Because we know like culturally, a lot of people aren't going to seek that help. It almost needs to just be part of the job. I agree. I think, you know, we, we pay attention to the students and there's a, a school counselor for the students, but somebody needs to be there for the staff. Because we were definitely, there were many of days where I stepped out of the classroom and bawled my eyes out or just had to leave early. And and that goes the same for a lot of us. And the support was each other. Like, hey, I can't do this anymore. Can you please cover my classes for the end of the day? Mm-hmm. I need to go home. Wow. Do you feel like now that you've worked in education, you've worked in tech, do you feel like it's easier being a Black woman in tech versus being a teacher? Um, no. (laughs) After all that, still no? No. Dang. Um, I. And is that, and is that because a lot of education in this country does, is centered around Black women? I mean, Black women are educators. It's kind of like a thing. I agree with that 100%. Yes. I saw more women like me in education compared to where I am now. The education technology industry is extremely small. And one thing I observed very quickly was there are very few of us here. And 
Every year there's a conference that all the education technologies companies go to and teachers attend to just like be aware of what's out there for new tools, have some workshops, all these different things. And I was at an event and I think it was a couple months into me working for this company and I look around and I'm like, wow, there is no one who looks like me in here. Mm-hmm. And so when I finally found a group of black women, they were like all chatting and stuff like that. I went up to them and Jess was like, hi, you guys look like me. My name is Mackenzie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just to create some type of familiarity and just comfort in this new environment. That's yeah, that you have to be so intentional. And it doesn't seem like you necessarily had to be like that in education. Not at all. And my company is extremely small. So I was the diversity. Mm. There are about 12 people in my company. Most of them live in Europe. And, you know, there are differences in nationality and all of that. But essentially, I was the only person of color. And I was one of two women working at the entire company. What? Yes. One of two women? Yes. Um, and so my coworker that joined me at the same time, she was the second woman and it has been a journey advocating for myself, just bringing to the awareness when things are offensive and not okay, and that there needs to be more diversity. And through that, we have hired another black woman on the team, but I'm grateful for my leadership and my CEO. He's not perfect, but he listens And him and I can have very hard conversations about when this is said in this meeting, this is how it's perceived to me. Or like when you ask me to do this, I feel like the black voice and just the black voice. And that's not my Mm -hmm. job. I'm a salesperson. And so it's been an exercise, but I'm, I'm grateful because what I say is valued and heard. I have seen shifts in the company because of my input. What advice do you have for people who are in education right now mm-hmm. and feel like the grass has got to be greener anywhere else? So I'm ready to go. What would you say to someone who feels like that? Make a plan and really sit with yourself before, because one thing about education is the stability and the resources are there. Make a plan and really sit with yourself. What are my skills? What do I enjoy doing? And how would I want my career to look like 5, 10, 15 years down the line? I feel like a lot of people are just eager to leave. And so they'll accept any type of job. But I'm a big believer of you may leave this job with this set of issues, but you're going to enter another space with another set of issues. There's going to be, you know, that person that gives you a difficult time at this job. There's going to be another person at a new job that does the same thing. And so really just create that plan and build out your network. Just talk to people and get their perspectives on what they do and really just like go with your gut about, I have interest in this and I really want to pursue this. And I think that makes the transition a bit easier. And just asking yourself, like with me leaving the classroom, like this is a very purpose oriented job. And how can I translate that purpose into something else because the change still needs to happen. The equity and all those things still need to occur. And so I really just hope that people really sit with themselves on how I can do that, but just in a different way with my experience. Yeah, that's great advice. For those of us who, you know, everyone knows a teacher. Everybody's got a teacher friend. I mean, different types of schools, different scenarios, you know, even different races. So their experiences might vary. 
but mm-hmm. what is something important that those of us who aren't teachers like how can we show up for our teacher friends and like how can we really hone that level of compassion for something that we might not understand you know it's not a desk job it's not something you just need a computer for you don't get to stay home it's a yeah. very particular tricky position to be in and and how can we do better to support our teachers i think to start give them a hug oh <laughs> the comfort is needed and i i know when i would come home on my days where it was just terrible i hated living alone cuz I just needed a hug. Yeah. I think that's the first thing. And just asking them what they need. Um, I think it's individual to every teacher, but I, I think those two things, give them a hug, ask them what they need and don't hit them with toxic positivity mm-hmm. because they know all those things, but that doesn't take away from what they're having to deal with. And if they're not ready to express what they need or they don't know, you know, just checking in on them periodically and people just to say, like, what do you need? And none of that generic fluff. Like we love the teachers. Thank you. Thank you, teachers. We get it. But it doesn't take away from our experience. I see all those jokes on Instagram about teachers being like, yay, more candy. And filling us with sugar, like teaching greatly affected my health as well. That like, that's another part of it as well. Yeah. The treats to make us feel appreciated. If you're constantly consuming that, your health will decline. And so, yeah, I think we need to figure out new ways to show appreciation to teachers. I feel like I haven't really had an episode yet, like to really focus on teachers and like, you know, the toll of working in education. So I really appreciate you coming in and being vulnerable and talking about that and in your transition. And I hope that you figure out a balance between getting what you miss about education and interacting with the kids and also being able to preserve yourself because we need you to do that. It was an honor. I'm so happy that I got to share. Mackenzie touches on an issue that many of us have, which is escaping one struggle for a different one. We have to be realistic about what we're gaining and what we're going to lose. Have a great week and also check on your teacher friends. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast. And this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 